our group, the, the Save State group, is really a, it's probably best described as a, a collection of members who are, are center-right. I think about, most of us agree that this country is a center-right country, and I think that our members reflect that uh, center-right uh, orientation. Uh, of course, many of our members, too, uh, should know that our, our, our lineage dates back to 1994, uh, when it was, uh, the group was founded by a number of folks, including people like uh, uh, Mike Castle, uh, Fred Upton, and, uh, Jim Leach, I believe, was very involved in the early days, and Connie was involved, Connie Morella, and, uh, and a whole host of other members uh, that I, uh, Mark Kirk, of course, so he came a little later, but he was, uh, of course, we all know Senator Kirk, very, very active with this group, helped get me involved uh, in, in, in the early days. Um, the there have been articles written about uh, the Tuesday group's demise. They're, they're, they're simply untrue. Our, our group has uh, nearly 50 members, uh, 47 or 48 members, depending on the day. Uh, we have a, a number of uh, members uh, who, are, who are very active. And I think we have one thing in common. Uh, we, we consider ourselves the governance wing of the Republican Party. Uh, we're the folks who understand that uh, we have, as members of Congress, an affirmative obligation to govern. We're there to get things done. You know, our job is really easy. If you only have to do is push the no button every day. I mean, at some point, people have to leave and have to stand up. And that's what our members tend to do on, all, on many of the big issues that this country faces. As many of our folks are the ones who are involved uh, in, in the decision making and, uh, and ultimately in uh, moving the ball forward, moving it down the field. So I just want to say that about our, our, our group. Uh, a couple other things, too. Um, we have uh, a number of our members who are in prominent positions in, in, the, in the conference. So we have you know, chairmen of committee. Uh, Right up in chairman of the Energy Committee. Uh, we have uh, three leaders uh, who are part of our group, uh, a few cardinals uh, and several appropriators. Uh, leaders on you know, the Ways and Means Committee, you're going to hear from Eric Paulson, uh, our good friend and co-chair, and uh, Adam Kinsinger from the Energy Committee as well, and they'll give you their perspective. So we have a lot of folks on the uh, A committees. Uh, and uh, you know, again, really, bottom line is our, our members are trying to get things done. Uh, they, they put forth uh, solutions. Uh, the real problems that, that people face. Uh, I would argue that many of our members are more focused on the you know, economic issues. I think some of our members tend to want to stay off of the hot button cultural or social issues, but generally uh, want to be very much engaged uh, on these matters of uh, the economy, uh, job creation, energy production. Uh, that's what our group is about, leaders in the tax reform movement. I suspect you're going to hear from our, some of our colleagues today. Uh, you know, Eric, you know, he's a great leader on the repeal of medical device tax and other issues of the jurisdiction and the Ways and Means Committee. Adam Kinzinger uh, is a strong proponent of, uh, of many national security issues, of course, also serving on the Energy Committee. He gets to deal with that whole host of uh, those issues. So I really just wanted to open it up that way and look forward to receiving your questions. And I'm going to stop right now because you want to hear from Eric and Adam. So thank you for this opportunity. Riffland is a, is a great, great organization. Glad to be part of it and really appreciate this. Thank you. Well, Mr. Paulson, do you want to start? Adam, do you want to come up as well? I'm sorry. Yeah, Charlie basically said it all, look, we're a group of, uh, frankly, there's a lot of us that are conservative, there are some that would, would call themselves moderate, but the point is, uh, we're a group of folks that decide that, you know, look, when you have a third of government, your job is to really to govern. So when you're in the minority, it's, it's really easy 
to go home and say you voted no on every bad piece of legislation. Because literally all you have to do in the minority is vote no. That's your job, frankly. If you're not voting no, you're probably not doing your job as a minority. But once you take that position of being in the majority, you have a level of responsibility that comes with it. Uh, it's especially difficult in a government where you have a Democrat-controlled Senate and a Democratic president. Uh, we now find ourselves in a position where we have two choices. We can either burn the place down, and we have the ability to do that. I mean, you don't have to accept anything. You don't have to do anything. You can burn the entire place down and say, hey, you know, we at least stuck 100% to what we believe. But we can actually try to find that area where we can maybe find some ground to move this country forward in our direction. So, you know, without speaking for the other two as an example, at the end of the year we had the fiscal cliff deal. And I can tell you 100 things in the fiscal cliff I didn't like. But I also saw in the fiscal cliff deal that Republicans were able to influence that piece of legislation outpunching our weight class. We did, what you see that came out of that was far more than a third of Republican influence. You had uh, Bush tax cuts permanent under $400,000. That's never been done even when we had all branches of government. We took care of the AMT problem. And I got a bunch of farmers in my district that were happy that they never have to talk about a state tax again, at least for a while. Um, so that's what we're here to do is to say, you know, look, we want to be part of the conversation in moving this country forward because in my case, at the end of the day, and I'm not trying to sound like overly patriotic, you know, hand on the heart guy, but I will say this. At the end of the day, I, and at the end of my time in Congress, however long that is, I have to look at myself in the mirror and I have to ask what I did with my time here. And if I was just went home and said that, you know, and started stoking the fires and said, I said no to everything and, and that's not a good feeling, but if at the end of the day I can say I influence government, even if I have to take a career-ending vote for some reason, for whatever reason, uh, that's the position I want to be in. So I think that's what you're going to see with a lot of our membership, is uh, people that really are just passionate about the future of this country and understand the position we're in. So thank you for the opportunity to be here, and I look forward to having the discussion with you. Well, first of all, this, let me uh, thank uh, Ripon for all you do and uh, for hosting these breakfast forums. I did one of these up in one of the chairs at one time with my roommates. Uh, remember that event, uh, the three roommates. And they cover the political spectrum on the Republican side, too. That was a great conversation. But I think, really, you know, just in terms of just providing the ditto, I want to mention that I think many of the Tuesday group sort of, I think, parameters or initiatives parallel about what Ripon stands for. And it kind of comes out of sort of the, what the Reagan sort of governing majority would want to do. And that's really what the makeup, I think, of the Tuesday group is, because we do have a pretty good selection of, I would argue, conservative members to more moderate members within our group. And, you know, we meet once a week. We have lunch, and, uh, you know, those are always not easy to attend, but it's fairly well attended, uh, the 40 members. You know, we'll have half there easily every single week. And we actually thoughtfully and methodically go through every bill coming up on the floor. Are there additional amendments we would want to propose? What makes sense to move forward? I do remember, a couple of years ago when I first got here and I decided to join the group and I've been following in the footsteps of Bill Frenzel, Jim Ramstead, and I had a chance to be uh, join the Tuesday group for the first time and I noticed Senator Mark Kirk was presenting a suburban agenda. And that kind of got me excited because it was proactively talking about getting something done, connecting with the electorate, and being positive and for something. And I think, you know, and we'll take some questions here obviously, have a discussion, but I'm 
very energized about being on the Ways and Means Committee and seeing what our conference has done. Not We took the majority, we're going to push through right away some tax bills because we have the majority, but we've been very more thoughtful, we've been methodical, having a lot of hearings to move the whole initiative of comprehensive tax reform forward for economic growth uh, to help our economy. That addresses the budget situation where we have some challenges as well. So I think the Tuesday group, I think by and large, parallels a lot of what Rick wants for. And I think when you host these trips, uh, for instance, traveling to Ireland in the near future, that is a you know a central key point of our tax system, looking at Iowa's tax code and some of the changes that we will be, we have proposed and we will continue to advocate for, and then really learning from that. So you've got sort of a solution-oriented, thoughtful uh, group that is truly actually trying to get things done. And you, we all know we've got to be bipartisan in the end. You, know, you get post-election, you got to move forward. We also got to be bicameral, and that's a challenge too, because some of the initiatives we move through in the House obviously get roadblocked in the Senate, uh, and that's a little, I would argue, a little bit more dysfunctional over there uh, sometimes than even the House. Uh, but again, it's being solutionary and getting things done, and so I think that's kind of our goal. We cover the spectrum on a wide range of, of, of issues, and we're a little bit different than the RSC. Uh, you know, the RSC is very team oriented. I mean, they get in there and they'll talk about you know. Let's propose a few conservative, exciting issues on you know certain topics. For instance, we literally go through the bills on the floor that week, or coming up in the next week, and then decide how can we shape those, how can we best make sure that we're actually passing policy that we can talk proactively about in the districts. Just I want to follow up on one thing that Eric said. Uh, you know, contrasted the RSC, I, I get the sense that our our group is a lot more member driven. You know, it's all member, member to member. We do have staff that attend meetings, but it's really all members doing the talking, and RSC, I think, is a little bit more of a staff-driven organization. Any questions? Peter. Right. Charlie, you see increasingly the situation where many bills come to the floor or make their way through the process, and they sort of incorporate suggestions from the RSC or other conservative Tea Party activists, only to find that it's a somewhat difficult vote, as you might expect, say, with the fiscal cliff legislation, or the agriculture bill that came last week, and they end up voting against the measure, sort of disputing the concept as you're letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I was just wondering if your own frustrations with this, and since you've mentioned, Adam mentioned, you're forced to take some difficult votes. You know fundamentally you have to govern. That's part of the process. But you watch there are people who are getting, sort of getting their will, but nonetheless negating that what's going on after the fact. Well, I think that you mentioned the farm bill. I mean, that's a classic example, I think, of what's, uh, I think what yeah, it really highlights the problems that our, our conference confronts, where I did not like the 2008 farm law. I voted against it. Uh, although I tell you that the bill that was on the floor the other day, I feel, was better than the current law. And so I think some of our members have a hard time recognizing that incremental progress is good. You don't get everything. And I guess more frustrating to me is that uh, some folks were offering amendments ostensibly to approve the bill, the amendment gets adopted, and they vote against the final bill. Yeah. You know, and some of us, you know, fought uh, hard. I got some, I saw some amendments going that I liked very much, and one that did not go in on sugar reform that I very much wanted, uh, did not get it. Lost uh, by a close margin, but at the end of the day, the bill was better than the current law. And I think some of our members, you know, they, you know, they're, they're under pressure from who knows where, but from outside groups and, and other folks, and just, uh, and they decide to vote no. And at some point, you know, we can, we can all run around and point fingers at why it failed, oh, it was the outside groups, it was Democrats, but at the end of the day, when you're in the majority, you know, we're responsible for passing the bills. You know, we can go blame Colin Peterson, or we can go blame uh, Nancy Pelosi, 
or the outside groups, but it's, you know, we're the ones who've got to get it done. And so it's, it is frustrating. I'm not sure I have a great answer to that. And I think there's a, you know, we've got to strike a balance. We've got an open process out there where, you know, the, you know, the more open the process, I think it's harder to maintain discipline. You know, if you close the process, then you'll have people voting against the bills on procedural grounds. I don't have my input. So you know, I'm not sure we have to strike the balance. We haven't quite figured it out yet in our conference. I just want to add to that. So, I mean, the reality of what's happened, everybody knows it, so I'll say it. Um, the reality is we have, there's like 30 or 40 people in our conference that just don't vote for anything. You can figure out who they are, but they, they exist. And, I mean, you look at all the, the tough pieces of legislation, they won't vote for it. And the problem is when you, when you minus those 30 or 40 people and you subtract them, um, you can't get to 218. Now, among those, you have some that are basically libertarians and you know my, my view is I guess we'll take them voting for our speaker if they do but there's also a libertarian party keep in mind and that doesn't mean that our party should become exactly that we have to continue to have a very strong position on national defense which I'm afraid we're eroding um, we have to have a very strong position that it's okay to have a federal government we're not against the federal government we just want it's smaller effective efficient and is able to do its uh, job with less expenditures and the problem is, is we literally have also these outside groups that if you even mention, so I'm a member of a group called No Labels, um, if you even mention talking to Democrats and saying, hey, let's try to find areas where maybe we do agree, you are now labeled what's called a rhino, just that you are a Republican in name only because you're doing exactly what Ronald Reagan did, which was talk to people on the other side of the aisle. Now, I don't know how we get out of this, and that's kind of the concern is, it's ultimately going to take members of Congress that are willing to go home and, you know, if somebody tries to challenge you on the fiscal cliff vote, you just say, yeah, I understand where you're coming from and we may disagree, but let me tell you why I got there. That's called leadership and I'll tell you as a pilot, when you fly formation, number two, this is the second plane, is all he's doing is looking at the lead aircraft. In fact, as number two, you have no idea what position you're actually in. You could be a 90 degree bank upside down, you don't know, because all you're doing is intensely staring at that lead aircraft. Well, the American people are desperate for some kind of leadership out of Washington, D.C. And out of Washington, D.C., leaders out here are desperate to see where the American people are because they're scared to death of losing their reelection. Nobody, not the President of the United States, and not members of Congress, some are, but in general, are not providing leadership and it's creating this chaotic situation in which it's frankly the blind leading the blind. And uh, that's something we have to find our way out. Yeah, can you talk about two big issues that are going to come up, probably hit a, hit a, hit a, hit a, this uh, fall. One is immigration as it comes out of, came out of the Senate yesterday. How the House is going to deal with it, the Hastert rules and the other things. How the, so how the Tuesday lunch punch is going to address this. And number two is the debt limit at some point is going to hit. And obviously, you know, there are going to be a lot of conservatives who want a lot of crazy stuff on there. How do you guys want to uh, play that issue? Well, a couple of things I'll just mention right off the bat. Uh, first of all, I should mention that, you know, the members of the Tuesday group, when we meet once a week, you know, we have leadership coming to meet with us. So as much as, you know, there might be the RSC or other groups that are influential within the conference, I mean, we've got a significant number in our group that are influential. Our leadership recognizes that. And so we've got a, a thorough community, regular communication with the leaders, uh, you know, we'll lead our conference. That, that's a challenge for leadership, how to blend all this together and passing the major initiatives. Immigration is going to be tough. 
it's going to be tough because it's one of those issues where you know it maybe sort of splits 50-50 in terms of being pro-economic, pro-business, kind of your traditional Republican groups being for it, and then you know the activist base being very nervous and probably against it. And so it's kind of a 50-50 split on the Republican side. It makes it more challenging than for a lot of members. Uh, it's going to be just tough moving forward. But I think the way the House is going to proceed in the, in the near term is moving you know, pieces of it through, not to avoid the issue, at least that would be my hope, because I do think we need a lot of progress in immigration for to recognize labor flow and to make sure we've got a legal system that works so we don't have the illegal challenges, uh, you know, given the, what's happened over the last uh, you know, couple of decades. And so I think we absolutely can make progress. I, I, I do. And uh, we have to see what this gang of now seven in the House is going to actually formally put forward and what the differences are between that bill and the Senate bill that just passed. On the debt ceiling, we had one conference meeting talking about the debt ceiling as a group. And it was interesting from a ways and means perspective that there was a lot of conversation in our conference about wanting to be for something. We recognized that we're going to have to get you know, something of what the House wants. What should that be? Well, is it entitlement reform? Well, I'm not convinced, and some of us aren't convinced the President is going to want to do some of those things, at least in the near term. That's not, you know, there won't be sincerity there. But what can we do for that helps the economy? Tax reform. There's a number of different tax initiatives there that I think members of our conference across the spectrum were speaking in favor of as part of the reform that we would want to maybe be part of that. So that's a process that's going to be ongoing right now. The only thing I'll add to that, you know, on the issue of the debt ceiling, I think this is a time for us to be ruthlessly pragmatic. And what I mean by that, what I mean by that is. You know, we passed it, then we did the no budget, no pay, the no labels group came up with no budget, no pay. We ended up, the debt ceiling debate was not was about the Senate not doing the budget. It wasn't about the debt ceiling, it was about the, the budget. And, you know, it became law. Okay, that was that was a very smart maneuver. It was a three-month, you know, more than three-month uh, debt ceiling extension. But for the, one, for the next one, I, I recommend to our leadership that we do about three or four things. One, take Eric Paulson's uh, repeal of the medical device tax, stick it into the debt ceiling. Uh, I believe about 70 folks in the Senate have voted for that. Take the Keystone Pipeline. 62 senators have voted for that too. Put that in the debt ceiling. Maybe throw a, an SGR fix if we can do it. Do it there. And maybe add the repeal of the IPAP, the Independent Payment Advisory Board. Send it over to the Senate and watch Harry Reid choke. I mean, seriously. I mean, you know, in other words, unite the Republicans and divide the Democrats. That's how we have to be. Now, this doesn't, this is meaningless if we don't have 218 votes, though. So we have to have 218 votes, whatever it is. The debt ceiling, the farm bill, uh, you know, immigration, on immigration, the only thing I will say is that the, uh, I do think a piecemeal approach actually does make sense. I mean, you deal with an enforcement piece, more security enforcement. You deal with the, the guest workers, the ag workers, the STEM, the STEM workers, maybe as a bill. You deal with the children, probably different than the balance of the 11 million who are here uh, unlawfully, and then break those out too. Those are the visa overstays, and those are the illegal border crossers. I mean, there are certain things that we can do, and of course, fix the exit system in a more meaningful way. I mean, so I think you need to deal with this very thoughtfully. And uh, but again, none of this matters unless we have 218 votes. That's the key. Uh, so that's how I handle the issues. Just pray. <laughs> <laughs> Obituaries since uh, started this thing in '80 again. Um, you know, whether you were a gypsy moth or center right or whatever it is, one of the things that I think, as a center right group, 
you also have to have the political muscle. And that's the one thing that some of your, shall we say, more extreme groups have. Uh, trying to get that vote. You know, we saw Orrin Hatch, who should have lost in that election. He won because he dismantled and rebuilt a political infrastructure that favored his election. What can you say that as a group you're doing to try and build some leveling of the playing field by getting a political infrastructure to assist those pragmatic members so that they don't, you know, with Senator Wright is go your own way. And sure. To it. No, I, I get your point. I mean, you have, you know, for instance, Tuesday Group itself helps membership in terms of financially. Uh, Main Street Partnership does the same thing. But we need to have these groups uh, that have the big money that can come in and support these candidates. Um, you know, the, the Carl Rove initiative that he talked about basically, you know, understanding that we've got to put people up who can actually win general elections. Uh, that's something we need to do. Uh, in terms of us as a group, I think it's important, and, and this is something that Charlie Dent has led, in terms of bringing you know, Eric and I on and trying to really kind of build an infrastructure within us that can kind of stand up for something. So it's not Charlie piecemeal going to leadership saying, I'm not going to vote for this because of this. Now there's actually a group of people. We can play the same thing that some of these other groups on the right play. And let me just say something very quickly, too. We've got to get our language in this right. Uh, we are an angry party. This is how we're perceived. We're perceived as very angry, as very upset, and the average American looks at that and says, you know what, I, actually, I agree, the, the economy's terrible, you don't have to keep telling me that, but I also don't feel near as angry as you are. In 1980, Ronald Reagan won, not because he said Jimmy Carter was terrible and he hated them. He won because he talked about this vision of a shining city on a hill at a time when we had just <coughs> lost Vietnam. The Soviet Union looked stronger than us, and he even said he could defeat the Soviet Union. And Americans said, you know what, if there's even a 10% chance that what he's saying is true, I'm going to vote for him because I want him. And an amazing thing happened, which is eight years later, go to YouTube today and watch President Reagan's farewell address to the nation. As he's outlining exactly what he meant when he said shining city on a hill in 1980, you basically your eyes are open to realize that exactly what he was talking about was now the United States of America that existed today. We have got to find that message, that positive message, that drives the American people to believe we are the party that cares about the poor and the down and out. We are the party that cares about educating our children. We actually are the party that cares about labor. We're the party that cares about that stuff. Here's our heart, here's why. And if we can tap into that message, we're undefeatable. I'll add is that one, one thing that I think makes us stand out is that our group is relevant. I remember there was, there was a time uh, in my political life when if there were big votes, you know, the, the, the folks in the more difficult districts often were the ones who might have, I don't want to use the term, gotten a pass, but the ones who may have been voting a little opposite the party. But now we're finding that the folks in these tougher marginal districts who are putting up all the big votes all the time. And folks in the safest districts, uh, in some of the safest districts in the conference, find reasons to object and to vote no. And, and I mean, it's just, you know, the world, it's upside down. It's Alice in Wonderland. You know, down is up and up is down. I mean, it's just not the... <laughs> I just, it's, it's hard for me to fathom that. And uh, Adam did mention, you know, we, we've done things, at least from, we, you know, Mark Kirk and I, a few years back, we created the uh, Tuesday Group PAC, uh, which we don't run. Uh, it's run by a former member, Sue Kelly. She's in charge. Taryn Egrot's our fundraiser. Uh, so we, you know, we're gonna, we help establish this thing, get this thing moving. That, you know, there's a way to, to double max to every member of our, of our, uh, of our group. We've done that. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, 
you know, uh, and, and you marry that with the Main Street Partnership, our, 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 our brother or sister organization, they're out there doing a lot of similar things, and uh, we appreciate all they're doing, so we're trying to maintain that infrastructure. Uh, but I mean, to the extent that our group remains relevant, and we are, because the leadership knows it, they have to talk to us to get things done. And you know, we let them know when we have problems with issues. I was very outspoken. I didn't like the fact that we were debating abortion bills in the middle of, the, you know, in the middle of all this. I thought it was a mistake, and uh, I said so. And, uh, and some of our folks are, uh, I think, are uh, starting to speak up quite a bit more about the, you know, how to do this agenda. As we move towards energy independence as a country, and, and given our intellectual capability, we can go back to that, you know, the Ronald Reagan vision of America. In fact, it's going to be our economy that drives the rest of the world. And, and yet, as we're starting to go through this potential boom period, there's public policies that will help promote it, whether it's international tax reform, you know, um, making, you know, opening up trade um, for U.S. companies, seems to slip off the agenda. And is there a way to turn back to that positive message about the United States can drive the global economy. We are going to be the force yeah. in the in the country, and why we need a coherent set of policies, whether it's immigration, tax, energy, um, to, to lead the way for the rest of the, the, the for both the country and the world. Well, the key, the key to that is is you know as Republicans, for us to get a message out, and that's just it's not Republicanism. It's because we're Congress. To get a message out, you really have to hammer something for four or five months, and then the American people can begin to pair it back. The president just needs to go on TV once, he's got every news camera, he's driven a message. So we did that with Keystone Pipeline. We made that an issue that now basically every American is talking about the Keystone Pipeline because we were able to hammer it. I think we have to have a positive America first agenda, a positive agenda talking, you know, reiterating to people. We should not cheer, by the way, when bad economic news comes out, because I don't care if it hurts this president or not. He just got reelected. We should cheer when good economic news comes out. And we need to talk about the fact that we are still the leading economy in the world, even though we don't feel like it. And I think the more we hit that positive message, the more Americans can kind of realize that. They feel more confident, and frankly, the economy is going to grow as a result. <coughs> Overall, I'll say this. I, I think on ways and means, we've had an impact, clearly, on the tax reform area. And if you look back over a couple of years ago, we moved the president from no tax reform to some corporate tax reform to now revenue-neutral business tax reform. And so we've led that. We have led that. And we're going to have to keep pushing it. I mean, we are in a growth gap. And normally the economy doubles every 20 years. We're doubling every 30 years. So we have a 10-year lag. I mean, we're literally, workers are being robbed, literally about $3,000 a year in disposable income that they should have had. And that's something we can possibly talk about how we want to grow the economy. And what was the GDP, the numbers the other day, at 1.8%? I mean, it's just anemic. It's pathetic. And it should be doing a lot better. So I think the opportunity for us to help continue to lead and, and push the administration is on tax reform. I mean, look, it's, it's working in the Senate. I mean, look what Senator Baucus is doing. Rather than these conceptual markups that always happen in the Senate, now you have to actually produce some real legislative proposals and amendments if they're going to start moving the tax reform ideas where it's set. So Senator Baucus and Dave Camp have been speaking the same language recently on tax reform. So we are trying to lead it and make that a part of our agenda to get the United States back on top. I'll say on energy is uh, I think we have a, a wonderful story to tell. Uh, when you think about it, you know, being from Pennsylvania, we've got the shale gas boom going on. I mean, we haven't yet fully appreciated the, the magnitude of the transformational capacities of this change. 
think about uh, just think about it for a second. I, I mean, the fact that we're paying for you know the cheapest gas in the world now uh, means that it opens up all sorts of manufacturing and industrial opportunities for this country. Uh, and this is all happening in spite of Washington, in spite of it. And you know, you look at what's happening in North Dakota with the oil again. Uh, you know, the horizontal drilling and the again the fracking is has you know, you know just transformed. And you know, we were having talk. We talk about energy not in terms of scarcity anymore, but in terms of abundance. That's all changed, and it's remarkable. It's happening, and you know we we are I believe our party has been in the forefront of this. Uh, you know the administration really has, has really been on the sidelines or opposing. Again, you know, we just saw what happened this week. You know the war on coal is back on in a big way, uh, which doesn't make me very happy. Even where I live, uh, but the uh, but the point is, you know we have a good story to tell. We can talk about this in terms of jobs, manufacturing, in a way that I think that the administration uh, cannot. Uh, and so I think it, it really helps that, add to that positive message. Thank, thank you very much. I feel very strongly of the importance of the Tuesday group. But let's say Speaker Boehner calls the three of you in, and he says, okay, guys, what do you think we can do to bring together some harmony? Not that people have to vote alike, but, you know, thinking of the farm bill, it was not perfect, but nevertheless, it didn't look good for the Republican Party. What, what advice would you give him? I think it's the same advice we've been giving them all along. I mean, which is, you know, which is, you know, we have to be able to, you need to, I, I you, you're at wit's end, you know, when you put forward proposal, I go back to a plan B, you know, back at the end of the year, you know, I think some of our, and Vayner understands this, you know, you're trying to, we're, we're trying to move the ball down the field, we're, we're trying to do things tactically to give ourselves, you know, a better, at the end of the day, it gets to a strategic objective. Like the Plan B thing on the fiscal cliff, and I thought it was a very good idea. That we knew at the end of the year the rates were going to go up 100 percent of Americans. The debate was, you know, was it going to be at 200, 250, or was it going to be something higher. That was really the debate. So the question is, how do we get that threshold as high as we can to help the pass-through entities, the small businesses that are that are you know such after us? Uh, how do we help them? And so we came up with Plan B, and I thought. You know, a lot of us were involved in that discussion about raising that threshold, get up to a million dollars. Uh, and you know, send it over to the Senate again, and you know, make Harry Harry Reid sweat, and that's what we did, or we tried to do. But again, but it came down to the fact that some of our members, you know, just don't have a. There's not a pragmatic streak there. You know, in other words, you can be conservative. One can be conservative philosophically, and still be practical. And so, you know, again, getting that threshold up to a million dollars would have helped us achieve a better outcome. A better resolution, but you know we ended up we got a four hundred four hundred fifty thousand. Had we got a million dollars passed a week or two earlier, we might have got up to six hundred thousand, maybe seven hundred. We might have been able to do that, but I mean that's the challenge. And I mean some of like on the farm bill, you know some of the folks were upset because it didn't cut food stamps enough or didn't didn't cut the commodity programs enough. But at the end of the day, I said, well, if you were against the bill, you got nothing. If it goes down, you're for the status quo, which is far worse than what was being advanced. And I think that is there's an education process here. We talk to Vayner about this regularly. He understands it. He gets it. And it, frankly, it limits his ability uh, to lead. It really limits his ability. And I, I'm not sure that any of us have a good answer to that. Maybe uh, my colleagues here are smarter than I am. Well, I think uh, you know one piece of advice that I have, and, I, and, and they're doing this, the leadership's doing this, is to continue to have 
small group meetings in small settings. So you sort of avoid the large group thing where everyone, the herd starts running in one direction and then you can't readjust the direction of the herd. But having those smaller group meetings with members constantly, and that's a challenge for leadership because they always have to be in that listen mode, right? Uh, but when you've got 435 different egos and 200 and some different egos in our conference, you've got to adjust and make sure that there's more of an educational level and understanding about what's, what is good for the team, but also is good for everyone individually. And in those small groups, you can make a lot more progress because it's just more of a shared understanding. And we are seeing some breakthroughs in some areas uh, that have actually worked. And I've talked to a number of members that just came in in the last two classes, and you know, many of them don't have legislative experience. You know, they were business people or whatever. They got they, they, they ran at the right time, they got caught up in the wave, they ran for the right reasons. And many of them said, boy, I didn't know it was like this, there are good people working here. But I made some of these promises back home, how do I get out of that now? And so, you know, there's some of that challenge. <laughs> so, but, but they're thinking about it, and I think some of that small, some of those smaller conversations can help move, move the herd in a different direction in a positive way. Well, let me just say quickly, uh, for those of you here that are involved in the activity of giving out money to, to some members of Congress, if they vote more with Nancy Pelosi than they do with Speaker Boehner, they can call themselves a Republican, but they're not part of the team. And all I'm going to say is, you know, whoever you give money to, watch that they're actually advancing the agenda of the United States of America. I mean, I, I say this passionately, not to get, not to hand on the heart, sound like a Mr. Patriot, but you have 18-year-old kids that give their life for this country that they barely know. They're in Afghanistan, they were in Iraq when I was there, uh, that die for, the few, for a country that they've known for 18 years. Every member of Congress ought to be willing to give their political career to defend the same country. And if you're scared to death, if you know what the right vote is, but you're scared to get death to go home because the Club for Growth, or because Heritage Action, or because some of those groups are gonna come out against you and you might lose your $174,000 a year job, then just look at the people that have given their lives for this country and say sometimes you've got, I'm not saying take suicidal votes all the time, but sometimes you have to do the right thing even if it costs you this job. You can't govern from a position of fear. And that's what happens in too many cases. People are afraid to put up a vote because they're afraid, uh, afraid they're gonna offend somebody on the outside. Well, I mean, you know, it, that's enough to make your hair hurt. Just, to, you, know, just you, know, you have to analyze the policy, the policy. But at the end of the day, you've got to make a decision that's best for, you know, best for your district, best for the country, and, and move forward and stuff. And people aren't going to like it. But I think there's a lot of fear out there. People are afraid to do what they, they need to do. And the truth is, a lot of our members have only come in during a uh, period of majority. You know, having served in a minority, both at the state level and at the federal level, Believe me, um, you know, having this majority is a, is a great thing. You can do accomplish things. You don't really, have, I don't know if you can fully appreciate that unless you've been in the minority. Opposite, uh, you know, a president of the other party and, you know, the, the other party controlling the, the Congress or the legislature. I mean, then you, then you understand what it means to be uh, less effective and irrelevant in many cases. You, you know, so the worst thing in the world is if you're in a majority, you don't ever want to be irrelevant. You want to be relevant. You got the ball, take it, run with it. Gentlemen, it's just about nine o'clock. Uh, we bought these books ahead of ahead of time for you, called "A Passion to Lead," and I think you clearly demonstrated that you have it. We wish you the best. We thank you for joining us. We thank you for your service. And if there's anything we can do as a group to help you, please let us know. Thank you. Thank you.